one less Starbucks coffee a week. That's Boom. A, oh, you, you jerk. <laughs> Don't make people do that. <laughs> <laughs> Bienvenidos a The Fish Nerd. Bienvenidos a los Fish Nerds. Es una celebración de pescados. Pescar y comer pescado. Eso es lo que, lo que siempre interesa. Siempre será divertido y lo, lo más importante es todo es verdad. Yo soy Juan Carlos Giraldo de Podcast and Business y estoy aquí con todos los nerds. I'm Clay. And I'm Fish Guy Josh, and I collect fish like baseball cards. Interesting way. Do they come with bubblegum? Um, no, no bubblegum. <laughs> That's too bad. Because do you, do you ever, you know, do you really collect baseball cards? I used to when I was uh, younger. Yeah, I, I always did Garbage Pail Kids. I did do Garbage Pail briefly, but um, growing up in the Bible Belt mm. of the South, They weren't really um, looked upon by some of my parental uh, figures. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm a lot older than you are, too, probably. So I, it was more in the mid-80s when I was into them. So. Yeah, I was, I guess I was just a little too, I, I was still under the thumb of my parents so that I couldn't just freely collect them. Yeah, that's how it always goes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I want to start off today because today's theme, the name of tonight's show is Fish Are Nature's Vegetables. <laughs> Did you know fish are are considered vegetables in some circles? Uh, I mean, I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, yes. Now, and I've heard this my whole adult life. I know I have a lot of friends who are vegetarians, and uh, and you ask them, so you're vegetarian? And by the way, I I I, I agree with every vegetarian who says that's the healthiest way to eat. They are probably correct, but then they always say, or a lot of them say, I'm a vegetarian, but I, I eat fish or I eat chicken. Or I eat some yeah. kind of other meat product, and they don't consider that kind of meat meat. Now, so the question we're going to answer tonight is, is fish meat, or is fish a vegetable? And, and, hmm. and the reason I brought this up is because someone shared an article with me that said, decreased cancer risk of vegetarians who eat fish. And I think that title should be decreased uh, vegetarian numbers In vegetarians who eat fish. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I totally agree with um, that 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 sort of you constantly run into what is it called? Is it pescatarian? Is that is that a vegetarian that that eats fish? That's the 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 going term. And before I get to your answer, we actually put this out to the Fisher Nation, and I asked the question. And I asked people to call into the Fish Nerds hotline to tell us what they thought about fish as a vegetable. So I'm going to play for you a couple of bits of phone calls we got from, um, actually, they're from a lot of Fish Nerds correspondents, believe it or not. Awesome. Yeah. We kind of cheated by, I told them all to call in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we're being completely honest. The first call here is from, is from Doc Martin, our fisheries uh, true pescavarian friend here. Hey, Clay, so this is Doc Martin calling, and the question of the day appears to be, um, are fish vegetables, which is a very important question. Very important. Question. Yeah. <laughs> um, but first, I thought, what is a vegetable? Because a lot of people... 
people think, you know, tomatoes are the fruits and vegetables, and I think most people know by now that a tomato is technically a fruit because of how it grows and where the flesh and I should probably stop for a second and tell you that, that Doc Martin is probably smarter than both of us combined, just, just as we get going here. So she's already way overthinking this whole thing. Yeah, well, let's hear her out. These are located in Hallow's King Park. came about from the plant park. So um, the article that she posted was well-written and informative, which I really appreciate. Uh, they didn't tend to do anything out, outrageous or anything like that. But uh, from a, a scientist's perspective, I thought we would have a little game. Um, <laughs> is it a fruit or a vegetable? So uh, this is fun for me also to look up. Um, first, we can talk about well, what is a fruit, the actual botanical definition. Um, it'd be interesting to get Hugo's perspective on this because... You know, it's really fun, too, because I've known Hugo... Uh, Hugo, I've known... Uh, uh, Doc Martin a few years, even before she was a college professor, but she's sounding more and more professory as she gets uh, <laughs> cooking along here. <laughs> so a botanical fruit or vegetable doesn't always necessarily agree with the culinary use of a fruit or vegetable. Hence, <laughs> it's made. It's a great example. <laughs> so, botanically speaking, a fruit is a seed-bearing structure that develops from the ovary of a flowering plant, okay? Whereas vegetables, botanically speaking, are all other plant parts, like roots, leaves, and stems. Okay, that's all fine and good. So we already established that tomato, while culinarily used as a vegetable, botanically is a fruit. What about an eggplant? Also a fruit. I knew that. I knew that one. How about <laughs> beans or peas? Mm, fruit, no. Also a fruit. Yes, fruit. Corn? <laughs> fruit. Also a fruit. Yeah. You're nailing it, Clay. celery? Celery's a stem, so that is actually a true vegetable. Oh, I wouldn't sure. Broccoli? Flower. Another true vegetable. It is October, which means it's fall. So what about pumpkins? Fruit. Fruit. Those are a fruit. Yes. What about nuts? <laughs> she said nuts. Like acorns <laughs> and sunflower seeds and things like that. Must be fruit. Um, well, it turns out that it depends. So a seed um, or a nut is going to be different things um, based on what the actual outer cover We ran out of, of Doc Martin. <laughs> she used up all And the we time. still never... We may never we still know. We up the, uh, the answer of whether or not fish were vegetables. We will, we will never hear the end of that. I, I, didn't, actually, I didn't pre-listen to this. This was a simple question. So we, we know where Doc Martin was going. She was dodging this question, you know, just... We, we might as well have asked Donald Trump. Uh, so, uh, that was uh, awesome. That was That's... kind of awesome. Uh, so we don't know. what ran Doc... out of tape. Yeah, we ran out of tape. A simple question, and we got Doc Mark. And I, by the way, next week she's co-hosting the show. That's awesome. I was just going to say I really miss um, – I haven't heard a good – the doctor is in 
for a while. I missed I missed hearing the good doctor on the on the fish nerd airwaves. Well, next week we'll get a full hour of her. So we've, we've just set that up. Uh, so then we got a phone call from uh, Captain Sean Tibbetts, and Captain Sean is the uh, shark captain from the from MainTunaFishing dot com, and uh, oh, yeah. the grumpiest guy I know. Hello, Fish Nerds Nation. Captain Sean Tibbetts here. Uh, my diet consists of Twizzlers, <laughs> more Twizzlers, and uh, more Twizzlers and the occasional Chef Boyardee during the fishing season. But uh, in the winter, we tend to kill our own meat, uh, primarily through hunting. And uh, we eat a lot of fish that are uh, organic from the Gulf of Maine, but we catch over the summer. And uh, I'm a firm believer in organic, free-range, and it's a whole lot healthier than anything raised in a farm and keeps us a lot healthier than we would be if we were buying stuff at the grocery store. Well, you know I suck at this. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So he also didn't answer the question. <laughs> so two for two. Two for two. And let's see. Uh, we got one more, I think, here. Yeah, we got uh, we got Rich Collins. Rich Collins is our newest correspondent. He's actually our fly fishing correspondent. Yeah, he has not submitted any pieces yet, but it's coming. He's actually uh, kind of local to me here. He vacations in my neighborhood. It's neat to live where people vacation, and he will be <laughs> teaching me to fly fish over the course of the next year. Start probably start with tying flies this winter, and then in the summer, actually catching fish on a fly. So can't wait. I can't wait either. And, um, so and he by the way he went to guide school with me, but never took the guide test he just went to guide school so here's his take on it by the way so far we do not have an answer to this question not a one yeah at least not from the, the experts which are especially the fish nerds <laughs> correspondents <laughs> completely useless people <laughs> hey fish nerds this is rich collins i gave this a lot of thought and i do not believe that fish are vegetables yay reasons, they do not bite they do not spray with their own milk they do not have eggs, and they do not kill other vegetables for food. So I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, fish are not vegetables. Okay. So leave it to Rich to tell us the truth about uh, fish and vegetables. And <laughs> you know, I thought for sure Doc Martin would uh, would have read it what I, for us. <laughs> what I really want to know about Doc's call, we have to, you'll have to ask her uh, next week. Is when she left the message, did it like beep or did she keep talking and not realize that it stopped recording? I, I like to think she just went on and on and on. But I, I will I will pose this question back to her next week. So, um, Josh, you're kind of a fish expert. Uh, a little bit. You, I am. What is your background? Uh, my background is in. Um, Aquaculture and fisheries biology, uh-huh. uh, fish fisheries research. So I, uh, you know, I focus on a lot of fish in captivity, but also I, I do quite a bit of field work, uh, especially with my current job. Okay, so we could consider you as someone who knows more than the average person about fish. I like to think so. C- yeah, certainly know more than I do. I, w- I would give you that. So, <laughs> and I know a lot about vegetables. I do grow vegetables in my garden. I eat vegetables. You eat. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Doc Martin and the rest of the uh, Fish Nerds uh, correspondence crew there. Are fish vegetables? No, they are not vegetables. Finally. You know, that's, if everyone had called and just said no, we would have credibility. 
<laughs> but the fact that our own correspondents can't answer the question uh, quickly. <laughs> That's really uh-huh. Now, just to get back to this arg- article, and it's actually not, not a terrible article. Uh-uh. Uh, and it says, uh, this is by Dr. Mercola, and this is on the website mercola.com, of course. Take control of your health since yeah. 1997. There it is. Uh, it's colorectal cancer um, is the third most diagnosed cancer and the third leading cause of cancer-related deaths. I had a friend, a uh, 43-year-old friend who died just uh, a few months ago from colon cancer. Mm. My neighbor. I had, a, I had an uncle that uh, passed away not too long ago. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, it's, similar similar yeah. symptoms. Yeah, and they and they get diagnosed at stage four sometimes, you know, like it's yeah, two, exactly. Two that that's exactly what happened to my uncle. Stage four by the time it's diagnosed. Yeah, this woman, and it's because they get diagnosed too late. This woman was a you know runner and, and peak of health, and just all of a sudden sick. You know, it's yeah. it's terrible. So, but anyway, so she's talking about the role your diet can play in your risk of this disease. Um. And she says processed meats being among the worst offenders and vegetables being among, among the most protective. So it's not surprising that a new study published in the JAMA, Internal Medicine, found vegetarians had 22% lower risk for colorectal cancers, 19% lower risk for colon cancer, and 29% lower risk for rectal cancer compared to non-vegetarians. Uh, but then... I mean, the whole article is it's kind of in that same zone. My only problem with the whole article is calling fish a vegetable. Uh, so, so-called, <laughs> she, and she clarifies this, so-called pesco-vegetarians who ate fish at least once a month and other meats less than once a month enjoyed a greater, the greatest cancer protection, a 42% reduction compared to non-vegetarians. So it sounds like true vegetarians aren't in the best class to be in, but they're way better than me. Or you, <laughs> but the pesco veggies are probably the best place to be. So a little Which bit of I, fish protein. I assume, yeah, exactly. They're they're getting a few extra, extra things that their body relies on with that little bit of meat. Well, it's actually the omega threes, right? It's present. Previous research has shown the omega threes to be protective against numerous types of cancer. For instance, in one study, the spread of cancer cells was blocked by omega three fats suggesting that a diet rich in omega-3 fats could potentially inhibit cancer in men with early-stage prostate cancer. Um, so I, so I, I think it's not just the protein, but then if you read further, most people benefit from some amount of animal protein. So I guess it's a combination of omega-3s, press the proteins, a little bit of fat, and you're good to go. I'll link up this on the website. I'm not going to read the whole thing to everybody. It's, it gets less funny really quick once you start talking about cancer. <laughs> So <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. It just really bums you out. And, uh, you know, I'm going to use that as a transition. Speaking of bumming me out, uh, <laughs> it's October. It's National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And this month we've been raising money for the National Breast Cancer Foundation. We did this uh, starting the very first episode this month. And you were on with me, Josh. Correct. On this. And I interviewed uh, Captain Sean and Lindsay Withers from MainTuneFishing.com on top of a mountain. And I played a part of that interview on that first episode of the month. This being almost the last episode of the month, or maybe the last one this month, I'm going to end this with the second half of my interview with Lindsay Withers and encourage you to go to Fishners.com and click through to the National Breast Cancer Foundation and make a donation 
and help us reach our goal of a thousand dollars. We're only at about five hundred bucks right now. And and you know I would I would um, add to that that I mean even if even if it's something where maybe you've you've given a cancer through another means. I know in October there's there's a lot of um, cancer drives going on. At the very least, some of the prizes that you have set up uh, are just awesome. I mean, why not put forth a few bucks to the fish nerds and and try your luck at, at maybe one of these fabulous prizes? I mean, I know I did. It's it's a great thing, and I, I'm going to keep them off myself, I think. But we have <laughs> – we have first, we're giving away uh, – pink fish nerds hats we're giving away dexter knives we're giving away the angler's pint glasses have you seen these oh yeah so my friends uh rhett and karen talbot have an art gallery in maine rhett's a mm-hmm. science writer writes for nat geo and all kinds of other places and uh incidentally his best friend is richard ross the cephalopod expert we'll get him on soon and you know he's out your way rich ross and oh, okay and um Anyway, so they're giving away sort of four Angler's Pint glasses. These are the hottest thing this year. Back of Orvis magazine right now, the back cover is featuring these glasses. They're now in Orvis, and they're friends of mine, and they've donated to the cause. Uh, We're giving away two guided fishing trips, one with a really great guide out of the Highlands of Maine, uh, Richard Duvant from Twin Maple Outdoors. That's a river guiding trip for smallmouth bass. One of the best guides I've ever seen. And the other one is probably with the worst guide on the planet, me. Uh, worse because I've never actually guided anybody. I have my guide license, but I don't know how to do it yet. So this year I'm giving away a lot of free trips to practice. So you could come on a trip with me if you win it. Uh, plus other prizes. We have knives and fishing line and pink fishing swag and all kinds of cool stuff. Over $1,000 of prizes. Go to fishners.com. Click through on the pink stuff until you get to the National Breast Cancer Foundation's website. Make a donation in any amount. If you donate twenty dollars or more, James Frank, um, is it James Frank? No, not James Frank. Michael Frank, the amazing James's brother, who's a fishing guide in South Carolina, will give you a pink fly that he tied himself. Yeah, I saw those. They so look you're nice. guaranteed to get something if you donate twenty bucks. But if you donate anything, I don't care how much it is, I'm going to enter you into the raffles. So ten bucks, you're in the, you're in on it. It doesn't matter. So. Get that done, and here's the second half of my Lindsay Withers and Captain Sean interview. And uh, if you listen close, it gets uh, it gets graphic. <laughs> <laughs> this is not for Let's the faint of heart. Yeah. Yeah. So I I fell in love with fishing when I was really young. Um, so it's always been a go-to for me. He's got bees. Are you allergic? No, but they freak me out. Uh, <laughs> bugs. Just bugs. You'll burn the house down if there's a spider yeah. somewhere. Okay with the fish, but bugs make Yeah, no, nuts. I don't. No spiders. No, no, no. I almost crashed my car the other day. There's one on my windshield. <laughs> I'm like, Argh! All right, so you grew up fishing. Yes. So I grew up fishing. Um, I've always loved it. Um, mostly just being outside. The, just the peace of being outside was nice. Um, I met Sean on the dock in Saco. Um... <laughs> And he had me at shark fishing. I was yep. sold. Hook, line, and sinker, done. Um, <laughs> so shortly after we started dating, I um, got diagnosed. I think it was two months. Like during a tournament, right? Um, I found we it. We found out during a tournament. And then I got my diagnosis during the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, It'd be, I'd be weird to find it during a tournament. I would wonder how much fishing you're doing. 
Not a lot. <laughs> so the first tournament we did was the day after my biopsy. So my initial, you know, my initial biopsy. Um, I wasn't supposed to do anything and I was furious. I'm like, you guys are ruining my weekend. <laughs> I have fishing to do. I'm not going to be able to cast. This is ridiculous. Uh, cancer but, ruins everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so inconsiderate. But uh, luckily enough, a certain someone set the hammock up for me up in the tower. So I had a, a spot to hide and put ice on my boob. And uh, <laughs> I was comfortable. We had a really good weekend. Yeah. Um, and then right after the tournament, I got the phone call and they said, it is what it is. And I said, fucking lovely. Um, <laughs> this is just That's the right reaction. Yay. Yeah. Go team. Um, yeah. So that was the start of it. Um, but during the whole thing, like waiting for follow-ups and pre-ops and more testing and visiting this doctor and going to the radiation oncologist and the medical oncologist and the surgeon and then the plastic surgeon <laughs> it was a lot of doctors but um in between all those appointments fishing was well, we more of a Casco bay classic too yeah we did right after you um did. fishing turned into being into more of a medication than anything um like a therapy yeah i, I just drowned myself in fishing like it was because it was the only point where I was so focused on something else that I didn't even think about what else was going on. Um, now, incidentally, Sean, you're a shark guy, right? Yep. So, and, and, I, and I, I'm probably wrong, because I'm, I'm, I'm wrong a lot, but there's only, I think, two vertebrate animals that don't get cancer, and I think sharks are... What's a vertebrate? Is that edible? Yeah, animals with backbones, right? You lost them right? at science. So, science. have you heard that? The sharks don't get cancer? That's no. interesting. No? Because I'm just kind of thinking in my head. I'm like, all right, so, so you got cancer. Mm. So now you got to like take it out in the sharks. Like, you bet. I kind of did. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she did. So, when we were getting ready to book my surgeries, like to schedule the dates and stuff, we had already bought into the Casco Bay Classic, which is a shark tournament. It's three days, and I was going with Sean and my friends from work and I was ready for this tournament I was so excited and they wanted the surgery to be in the middle of the tournament and I was like oh no um, no you reschedule no completely change that date so I made them push it back a week see I've been more impressive you said right, fine come on the boat <laughs> yeah <laughs> use my dexter knives yeah. just cut that thing out um now so we did the tournament and caught my first shark my first one was a nine foot blue which was absolutely surreal. I'm like, holy crap, this is a shark. And it has teeth. Yeah, not. The blue Sean made teams, me touch right? it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we fished the tournament. Um, had my surgeries done at Brigham on August 28th, uh, 2013, if you want to get specific. Um, I had a full mastectomy on the left side and reconstruction. Um, and then later on, I had another surgery to kind of balance things out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm happy with the results now. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. My I, plastic I, surgeon built a good set. He did a good job. Excellent, excellent. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine having to go through something like that. I've had. We've lost friends in the past year to cancer, other kinds of cancers, and uh, it's. it's I'm, a I'm super glad. Terrible beast. And and because you're so young, you wouldn't have gotten checked through regular screenings at any no. point until 
you know, what, 20 years from I now? I had almost. no idea. So you would have not noticed it until maybe you were at stage three or four and it would have been too right. late to do a lot of the work that you got done. So Mine was pretty rapid moving. Mm -hmm. um, when they first caught it, they thought it was just a ductal carcinoma, which means that it's inside the duct system. So in the pipes, if you will. Um, However, I'll tell you one thing I know about cancer patients is their vocabulary is ginormous. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, that means make bigger. It means gets bigger. Clay, just jump. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring the drop it off. I'll drop off all the stuff to your wife. Um, yeah. So it started out as what they thought would be a ductal carcinoma, and then after my mastectomy, they staged it between a two and a three. Mm -hmm. So it had um, expanded out of my duct system and into the breast tissue. Um, when they did my mastectomy and took the breast tissue out, you know, they checked the margins, right? So they're gonna check the outside of the breast tissue. I know I'm holding my hands like I have a pumpkin in my hands, just in case you view it. But I was not imagining or... a pumpkin. No. no. Yeah. No. Or maybe a boob. <laughs> so if you like look at it as like a ball, they check the edges to make sure that there's no cancer cells on the outside. And that was the way that they would know if it got into my chest wall or not. Um, it was in my lymph nodes. It only got a couple of them, but they ended up pulling them all out from underneath my arm. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of, I know this probably isn't radio okay, but well, I, I, I kind of refer okay. to it like anal beads. Like they just popped them out in a string. <laughs> anal beads. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's, now I know everything I need to know. That's yeah. not going to get it. Yeah. Hopefully that now, doesn't make it. Now I know why you guys are together. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I had a little bit of lymph node involvement, so they ended up checking all those, and um, but they did a good job with the surgery. Everything was clear. Good. And, and prognosis now? I'm on tamoxifen for seven more years. They gave me a 10-year stint, doing, the, doing time. Um, it's an estrogen blocker, which initially sucked. Well, anything hormonal is, it is so hard to deal with. It was brutal. Mm. You okay? Mm. <laughs> Every once in a while it gets a little rough, but yeah. um, it's not terrible anymore, thank God. I oh. kind of balanced out. I don't have to do so many five-day offshore trips anymore. <laughs> like, ah. You're a dick. But <laughs> 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 it suits you. Uh, so, um, so now that's mostly behind you. Yeah. It's going to be part of who you are for a long time. Yep. You're doing great stuff raising awareness and money, part of all these great companies. What's your fishing career looking like? Are you, is that a thing? Or do I just say, like, well, say fishing career? A, I guess a, it's a thing. When you get paid to fish? I don't, I don't get paid to fish. So it's not a career. You have another career. Your other yes, life. I'm a paramedic yep. down in Worcester, Mass. It's, a, it's an interesting thing because a lot of people look at people who fish and do what you do or what I do and they think that's our jobs. And, yeah, well, I wish it was my job. Yeah, uh, it could be. <laughs> you never know. You pretty much have to be independently wealthy for that to be your yeah. quote-unquote job yeah I'm learning that well, and it's a tough professional industry up here anyway because we don't have the tournament structure that they would have like down south mm -hmm. is that where the big money is for oh for from the charter side from from my business side it's a two-month season you have two months I get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in overhead I have two months to pay all the bills and put a paycheck in my pocket. You know, you stretch the season out a month and a half one way, a month and a half the other, but you basically have from the time the kids get out of school to the time the kids go back to school to make all your money. Your tournaments are all in August. Mm -hmm. You know, you go down to the south and 
they fish year round. Right. You know, uh, their dead season is in Florida. Their dead season, I would assume, is probably like July and August because you can't go outside without dying. Dying. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever think about like packing up and heading south in the winter? I would assume we'll, it won't be much longer. I know. Uh, so, uh, Josh, have you been listening to the podcast the last few weeks? Uh, definitely. All right. So every Thursday, I've been doing something different. I've been throwing up classic Fish Nerds episodes. Back the to throwbacks. The, I, throwback Thursdays, right? Um, Dave and I have only ever kept 15 episodes at a time available on the internet. So if you were new to the show, you couldn't go back and back catalog and listen to all 125 episodes. So what I've been doing is every Thursday since I took the show over is I've been releasing an old episode. So now we're getting two episodes a week. Monday I'm releasing one, and Thursday's a classic throwback. We're on week five right now. And uh, they're totally fun. They're very different shows. You can kind of see the show evolve yeah, over time. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think some of our best stuff came early. <laughs> but we, we, we peaked at episode I, six. <laughs> I, I loved hearing your, um, I guess it was episode one or two, your recollection of um, your first experience with your, your boat and like putting the trailer in the water. That was, oh, that was really great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and if, if everyone's subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, you will get these every single week um, or Stitcher or, or now we're on iHeartRadio. So now we're kind of oh nice. We're everywhere you get podcasts. So uh, listen for those throwback Thursdays. Let us know what you think about them uh, and, you know, compare them to our newer shows and let us how, let know how we can uh, improve or if we need to go back in time and do things like we used to. Let me know that too. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but the show is going to be evolving uh, over the next few months, and we're looking for fan input, uh, especially if you know any musicians. We're trying to get all original music on the show. So, if you know someone who wants some exposure, um, we don't have any money, <laughs> so we can't pay you. But we, we're looking for new intro, outro music, and, and new stuff for like the fish in the news and that sort of thing, and any kind of music. Um, that sets that mood will work for us. And we'll, of course, put you in the show notes link on our website and I'll mention you on every single show that we use the music on. So send that to Clay at Fishners.com if you want to play and uh, we'll mix you into the show. Oh, yeah. I definitely have a few uh, musician friends from back home that I'm hoping will be interested in it. I'm definitely going to send them your Yeah. And it's, it's, you know what's the funny thing about this, Josh, is I, is I, I get a lot of people saying, hey, Clay, you should come in uh, – you know, write an article for me for exposure or you should, you know, I get a lot of writing requests and yeah. they don't want to pay me. And I tell them, you know, I could die from exposure. <laughs> so I, I do feel <laughs> bad that I can't pay musicians for their work yet. But um, I'm hoping to be selling advertising soon on the show. And when that starts happening and we have income, um, I do plan on paying people for their music. I think artists yeah. are super valuable. And if you can pay them, you should be paying them. And uh, speaking of paying them, um, this show needs to be paid for. And if you're checking us out <laughs> regularly, you should be on patreon.com slash fish nerds and give us a dollar an episode and keep us funded. I'm, I'm not going to say more about today because we've done enough of that, but <laughs> just, just get out there and do it. Help us support, help us keep the show going. It does cost money. Buck an episode. No big deal. Four bucks a month. You won't even notice it. It's better than yep. planet fitness and you'll be smarter. Kind of <laughs> one, one less Starbucks coffee a week. That's Boom. A, oh, you, you jerk. <laughs> Don't make people do that. <laughs> all right hey so um josh you you are so lucky because you get to hang out with peter moyle yes 
I love hanging out with Dr. Moyle and his crew. Yeah. Now, uh, for those who don't know, why don't you tell us who Peter Moyle is? So, um, Dr. Peter Moyle is uh, a really famous uh, fisheries biologist or fish biologist. Um, he, I, I, I like to refer to him sort of as the, the godfather of California fishes. Uh, however, um, he's known pretty far and wide. I know Dave was pretty excited the first time I brought a piece about uh, Dr. Moyle because he wrote the um, textbook that that Dave used in college. Uh, so he, he's essentially just, um, you know, he's one of the greats as far as biologists uh, go. And yeah. fortunately for me, he's only about an hour and 15 minutes up the road. So, yeah, and a real icon in the, in the pescatarian world. <laughs> so. total, total icon. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, in my, I, I am fish stupid. Um, all my fishy learning has been done in the field and one fish at a time. I didn't go to college to study fishes or anything like that. And I had never heard of Peter Moyle, but I was, I, I get excited about people like this because smarter people than me get excited about it. And I always want to hang out with smart people. So, uh, well, you know, I, I, I like to tell people, um, that when they don't know about Peter Moyle and they go, so, so you're hanging out with this guy, Dr. Moyle, you know, like friends of mine that they aren't really in my field, but want to know what I do. And I said, well, let me put it to you this way. Uh, Dr. Peter Moyle works at the Moyle lab. So, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a, he is a super big deal. And, so, and you got to work with him. Yes. So tell, and, tell us about this. Uh, so this is um, a little different than the last piece, uh, the F and West piece that James and I submitted, where um, they go out on monthly surveys to some of our local uh, – Delta and Marsh waterways, um, and, and do fish surveys. Uh, that that last piece was was me riding along with those guys, and I do that here and there when I when I want to go collect certain fish with them. Um, but this one's a little different. This is actually an annual field trip that they do for their uh, fish biology class. Um, so this is our chance to get college kids, you know, some of their first experience out in the field, learning how to sample, how to operate, uh, you know, electrofishing boats, seine nets, um, looking at the basic biology of a fish in the field, in the field versus, you know, looking at pictures. So this was kind of a unique opportunity where I, I get to be sort of at, um, ground zero of everybody coming in from the sampling and bringing fish back to the table so I can sort of pick and choose what I want for my aquarium collection. But uh, over the last few years, it's, it's really turned into uh, a thing where I'm sort of one of the crew members in the fish workup station because I bring all the aquariums uh, for, the, for the fish to be held in throughout the day. So it, it's, it, again, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I'm just in awe that I'm working with Dr. Moyle and, and his, his fantastic crew, yet he's the one that's coming up to me going, hey, thanks so much for bringing the truck with the fish tanks on it. And it's, it's so helpful. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. It's, trust me, it's no big deal. Uh, I, it's an honor for me to be out here. But, but essentially we got to collect fish all day out of uh Puta creek which is a creek that runs along uh uc davis the school where uh the peter moyle lab is and um it was a fantastic day what now so for those of us who don't live in california that is that a saltwater creek freshwater creek what's the water like 
This is a freshwater creek. Um, it's sort of, it's just a little west of uh, Sacramento. Um, so this is further inland from the San Francisco Bay Area where James and I reside, uh, where you find a lot more salt water. Uh, this is a little further up the way, um, still into the freshwater reach. So, and I, I'm really interested to see what kind of fish you're sampling. What have you been catching? So there's um, quite a mix of fish there. Uh, I want to say that over the years, um, they've really worked with adjusting flows in the creek at optimal uh, native spawning time so that they've, they've seen a really big jump in native versus non-native over the years. Uh, but the main things we got were uh, Sacramento suckers, which are a local native sucker, um, just like you know, the hog nose and red horse back, back east. Um, Sacramento pike minnow was another great one we found, which is, um, even though it's a minnow, um, prior to largemouth bass and other predator fish being introduced, uh, this was sort of the, the, the big bully on the block before we, we brought over all our other eastern fish. Well, it's interesting. A lot of people hear minnow and they just assume it means tiny bait fish, right? And, yeah. and and it does not always the case with minnows. Minnows is not I mean, you, a size measurement. It's not a measurement of fish. It's not at all. It's such fishes. a it's such a large group of fish and I mean even things like carp are, are minnows. Yeah. Um and, and it's California, the area doesn't have a, a ton of native diversity versus say like Tennessee or Kentucky or, you know, Missouri. But um they have a unique a really unique uh, makeup of, of native fish here and that a lot of them are minnows and they've all sort of evolved to, to hold these, these different uh, aspects of the food web where you have um, the pike minnow who's, who evolved to be the predator on other minnows. Yet you have the California roach, which has evolved to be the small stream minnow. And then you have Sacramento blackfish, which are actually filter feeders, but they all look very, very similar to the point that some people have a hard time telling some of them apart. So it's, it's always interesting to um, to not only see the the Davis crew work these fish up and point out all the differences to the kids, but nowadays, I mean, there were points where I was I was leading a group of kids and, and pointing out all the different uh, fish identification keys, um, which was which was a really great experience for me. Um, let me think, stop you for a second. Uh, let's and, see. Uh, let me stop you for a second. I I was listening to you very carefully here, and I think I figured out. A, a how you can tell the the native fish from the non-natives just by what you were saying. <laughs> Did you hear those context clues, Clay? Apparently, all the native fish in Sacramento are called the Sacramento whatever, Sacramento blackfish, Sacramento. It's either middle. it's either Sacramento or uh, California. Yeah, uh, very, exactly. Very very clever. I mean, we, we would have been really smart to do that. We'd have had our twelve native fishes all named. <laughs> yeah, easily. exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Um, but we did also have a lot of fish that are more familiar to the listeners um, back east. Um, a lot of largemouth bass, smallmouth, uh, your standard run of like bluegill, red ear sunfish, green sunfish, uh, log perch, which are really cool looking little um, darter species. Um, yeah, it was it was a fun time. I I look forward to that trip every year, not only because. Um, I get to grab a lot of fish for the aquarium, but also because, um, you know, I, I've sort of, 
I feel like they've sort of let me into the fold there at Davis, even though I, I didn't go there. I don't work there, but they've really accepted me as sort of an honorary crew member. So it's it's always fun when I can go hang out with uh, Dr. Morrill and the crew. That's really cool. And because you show up and you actually work, you know, you're not just taking space up. You're valuable. Exactly. And I think that's I think whenever you're doing anything, showing up is one thing. But but showing up and working and being part of stuff and getting involved yeah. and getting dirty it <laughs> makes you appreciated more. So, you know, show up and do something. You know, don't exactly. just watch. That's really cool. <laughs> now, when you say kids, you're talking about college kids. Yeah, these are college kids. Yeah, and that's really oh, cool. Yeah. And and uh, I, I've, I've done some few things where I've been invited to college classes to talk about fish. And it's really funny for me because I didn't go to college to study fish. I studied psychology. <laughs> but but because I do this this fish nerds thing, people, you know, they they assume I'm um, expert at stuff, and I yeah. pretend, and if you fake it, people really believe you. Now, are you <laughs> faking it or you truly know stuff? <laughs> I, I I feel like I'm I'm pretty much uh, past the point of faking it these days. Yeah, I think so. You've got it. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, cool. And so, are you going to follow up with Peter Moyle again, or is that just a once a year? Um, we actually, this Saturday, the second half of that class is a field trip to Bodega Bay, which is, That's where um, you buy, uh, small, like grocery items and <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, it is, it is a great location for, uh, for, for local Dungeness crab, but, but it is, oh, it is not Dungeness the same crabs. bodega. <laughs> so yeah, th- this is going to be the um, this is the second half of the field trip where um, the class is going to be learning the saltwater side of things. Oh, that's fun! And I believe, aside from just having the aquarium set up, uh, my wife Lauren and I will be doing the um, the cast netting. Oh, so we're going to cool. show everybody how to throw cast nets. That it's harder than you think. Exactly. Yep. I remember the first time I did it, I, 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 it looked so easy, and then I, it was not. Now, how big is the cast net? Oh, we lost you. Okay. Fish guy Josh. <laughs> can you hear me? Play. Hey. I can uh, hear you. Good. All right. So have you heard of Nano Remo? Nano Remo? N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O. I have not. No, it's, I've heard of it. I've been following it for a few years. In fact, uh, gosh, 2011, uh, Dave and I won a book pitching contest where we actually won a New York City agent to sell our book that we, wrote, we were writing together. Ah. And the I believe the people who put that book pitching contest together created a month called Nano Remo, which is National Novel Writers Month. And the idea... Yeah, by the way, we never got published. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, can, we'll, we'll tell that story another time. But the idea of Nano Remo, which is a dumb name, but um, is yeah, rolls right off the tongue. I, I, it's the dumbest thing, right? I, I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of initialisms anyway. Like I can deal with with things that make words. What do you call what do, What do you call like like uh, scuba? The, the oh, um, acronym. Well, no. Now you've jinxed me. Yeah, acronyms. Acronyms. I can deal with some acronyms because they actually spell a word, but initialisms, NaNoWriMo is not an acronym. It's initialism. <laughs> initialisms don't say words. It's a string of letters that don't make sense. 
Uh, right. um, <laughs> just like a noise. It's, it's a noise. Nano Remo. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> November is National Novel Writers Month. And thousands of people around the country are going to try and write a novel in 30 days. And I thought, you know, I've been trying to, trying to put a Fish Nerds book out for years. And, and I thought, let's, let's get together with our, you know, 12 listeners and let's write a book together. Let's crowdsource a book. So what I'm thinking is anyone listening to the show or following us on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you happen to be, if everyone could write 300 to like 2,000 words, whatever they want to write, and tell us a story, email it to clay at fishnerds.com. Uh, I will, and with some photos even, and I can compile those together. And by the end of the month, we have a, our first Fish Nerds book that's crowd, um, uh, crowdsourced. So, just like that. Just like that. I'll do the editing I, and, uh, and make it look good and lay it out. And I'll pay for all the work it takes to get it done. But everyone will get one. Be totally so cool. essentially, we're, we're looking for a collection of short stories of fishy, fish nerd adventures, eh? Yeah, fish nerds adventures. And, and I like to kind of, I, I'm a big fan of themes, you know, so I, I'm looking for, yeah, adventure fishing. So I'm going to, I'll tell you the story I'm going to write. I'll give you the, All right. I'll give you the, the short, short version. A little taste of, of what you'd like to hear. Yeah, yeah, and this is this right. is actually a very very true story. And it, by the way, this but this story happened to me probably fifteen years ago when I was a science teacher, and it and and it may have uh, evolved over time. But <laughs> <laughs> I used to work at a fish ladder in Manchester, New Hampshire, the Amoskeag Fishways. Yes, and I think I've told this story on the show before, but I'm going to tell it again briefly. And I had keys um, to get into the. Um, into the river below the turbines and stuff. And the, the way the dam was set up, there was a 700-foot dam across the Merrimack River, an island, and then on the other side of the island was where the turbines were. And it was, that's where the fish ladder was. And so I had the gate keys below the fish ladder, and I would frequently fish down there. So my friend Tattoo Dan, uh, who happened to be a tattoo artist, used to go, we used to go fishing below the dam together. We'd canoe across the river from that spot, and we'd... Tie the uh, tie the canoe off on the island, and then rock hop below the dam and fish the pools. Now those pools below the dam were always had largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, salmon, trout hiding in the pools because the, the river would yeah. drain out and the fish would hang out there. And it was a great place to fish, really cool. So one spring day, Dan and I were fishing. Uh, actually, it was in the evening. We were fishing there, and the dam has what's called flashboards. Have you heard of flashboards? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have um, smaller dams just up the, the stream from, from my house, and they just pulled the flashboards for the winter. That's right. And it's flashboards' job is to raise the lake water. It's a river, but they call it lake water, but the pooling area behind the dam higher. These were four-foot-tall flashboards, and they're designed to fail, which means fall down at some point. And it's 700 feet across the whole face of the dam, so it's a pretty big dam. And it's a big Big flashboard. <laughs> Very big flash. They're like they're just they're just big pieces. Of, they're plywood. They're just sheets of plywood. You know, four by eight sheets of plywood all across the whole dam. So Dan and I are fishing down there, and it's beautiful and sunny. But we don't know up north. You know, ten fifteen miles. There's a huge thunderstorm, and tons of water coming down the river. 
<laughs> and we're we're in a weird spot where we, you know, we're fishing and we're catching tons of fish and having a great time. And we hear that that horrible sound that you never want to hear below a dam. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we, we start packing our gear up. But you're supposed to have three to five minutes to get out of the area when you hear those. <laughs> we had about 30 seconds. So we managed to pack our gear pack our pockets, and the flashboard started falling off the dam. And we're <laughs> in the dead center, so it's 350 feet in either direction to get to shore. And our boat uh, is actually in the center of, of everything, kind of tied to a small island. Not the same island we came across on, but like in the middle. And so uh, we want to get to the canoe <laughs> so we can get across the river and get out of the water. And so we're the, the water's coming up very fast all around us. Flashboards are kind of rushing past us. And so we grab our fishing rods, <laughs> we put them on our teeth, and we jump in the river feet, feet first, and we butt bound. So, by the way, we, if you ever go in the rivers, in rapids, you should never. But if you do, yeah. always go feet first. Feet first. Feet first, and just bounce on your butt. And we did that all the way down to our canoe. And... We got to the canoe. Now we're, there's rapids on either side of us where it was calm. We first got in the river and we managed to, <laughs> we managed to get into the boat, untie from the tree we were tied to and canoe back across to where my car was parked and we're soaked <laughs> and whatever. And we start driving uh, up the hill to the top of the dam and we see um, sirens coming across the bridge and on our property, we're in the, on top of the dam, there's uh, there's like firemen with binoculars. We look down the river and there's a Zodiac coming up the river. And across the other side of the river, there's ambulances and there's a helicopter flying around. So we drive up the hill to the top and there's a, there's a cop standing up there. And I get out of the car and I, I say, hey, I'm Clay Groves. I, I work here. And uh, what's going on? And he goes, well, uh, we got a phone call. Someone lives in an apartment building up there. Said a couple of guys were in the river fil- fishing and the... Uh, the dam started flooding them out, and they jumped in the river, and they didn't see what happened to them, so we're looking for those guys. I said, man, that's so crazy. I was just down there fishing with my friend, and we didn't see anybody. <laughs> and, and then we drove away. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, the short version of that story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, God, it sounds like the water came up so fast. It, it doesn't take long when those flashbacks oh, get yeah. up. I mean, that's a ton of water. Uh, but you know we could have done. Uh-huh. That. <laughs> now now I'm, I was I was probably twenty six then and forty three now. So could have died. We did the end. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of fishing stories that that start with I could have died today. Uh, yeah. But take your fishing stories, write them down, send them my way. I will beautify them for you. I'll edit them and change some stuff around, and and you could be part of this crowdsourced book. And it could be a lot of fun. Maybe a national, uh, maybe a, a, a you know, annual thing, or maybe we'll do a fishing book on techniques next time, or something completely different. Anyone who submits a story will get a package of uh, Fishner's decals, so you can uh, be be part of the Fishner Nation. And of course, you'll get recognition in the book, and you'll get a free copy of the ebook when it comes out. So that's oh, the yeah. game. So Clay at Fishnerds dot com, or find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever you get your Fishnerds news. And join us for Nano Remo. <laughs> <laughs> We're just just smooth like butter rolling off the tongue. Oh, you know, and uh, you can find information on this at nanoremo.org. <laughs> Hashtag uh, Nano Remo. By the way, just, um, yeah, go ahead. Just email Clay. <laughs> email me. I'll, I'll link you up. And you can find more information at fishnerds.com. 
Um, by the way, hashtag, my daughter and I had a hashtag talk today. Because she, oh. she never knew hashtag had other names. The hashtag talk. So quick talk for you, Josh, you being a little younger than me. Uh, what other things have hashtags been called over the years? Um, are you referring to the actual symbol yeah. that they put yeah. in front? Yeah. Um, gosh, it was called... Um, I, I always just called it the the number number sign for like sure the number sign yeah we called it that um, yeah uh we call it the pound sign pound sign yeah that's the other one yeah my my daughter said how about tic-tac-toe sign so i would credit <laughs> her for that one and then my very most favorite was the original name when it was first designed it actually has a name do you know what it was no. It was Octothorpe. I always thought it was like pound sign. Nope. Octo, what is it? Octothorpe. Octothorpe, huh? Yeah. Isn't that cool? So I, you know, you can always hashtag Octothorpe pound sign. You know, there's <laughs> a whole list of them you can do there. All right. Fish in the news. Fish in the news. Fish in the news. All right. And we're going to. I'm going to do a couple here. Just going to do two today. And the first one, this is actually comes from a viral video. And I'm going to bring it back to the HuffPost story. Great white shark uh, gets stuck in a cage with divers. Have you seen this video? Yes, I was looking at this video uh, earlier today. Yeah, it's insane. So imagine you're in a shark cage. Have you been in a shark cage? You're a diver. Um, I am a diver. I have been in... Um, open ocean aquaculture cages so it's sort of like a gigantic fish pen so not necessarily a, a shark cage but i have been in the pen with sharks around me on the outside uh, it's a little spooky i can imagine now imagine a great white shark ends up in the cage with you <laughs> this is what yeah. happened this was off the in mexico uh and so the shark cage uh what happened is the shark came by and swam by and, and bit through the oxygen line and while they were trying to fix that, they opened up the cage a little bit, and the shark went into the cage uh, with the diver. And then eventually the shark escaped and swam away. But um, the, the reason I bring this up is this, this went viral. It was huge. It's all over the Internet. It'll be at fishnews.com. But uh, I, I, it's important to know that the people who were doing this video were actually breaking the law. And I think that's important. And I'm not sure if the Huffington Post piece I'm linking here actually says that. But oh. but at this particular place, it's a protected area for great white sharks. It's 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 part of a a place where they they, they look out for them. And in that area, yeah. it's illegal to chum for for sh to sharks in because there's so many sharks there already. Yeah. And you don't need to chum for them. But this this company was clearly chumming the sharks up. They had. Uh, like a big hunk of fish oh, on yeah. a rope and they were dragging it in front of the shark. I'm, I mean, you could tell they were just in the video by like how many small bait fish were in the area. Yeah, the only way that would happen is that there's chum everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about chumming the fish in. I, I, part of me gets it, you know, and if, that, if the money they earn goes to research and that sort of thing, I kind of get that, but uh, someone could have died because they were breaking this law. I mean, that would have been really, <laughs> really frightening. But. Yeah, you know, it's uh, chumming's. It's always interesting. It's 
even among just fishing, you know, it's it's all about, I guess, what your your end goal is and and what sort of rules are put in place uh, to control it. I mean, you know, I've seen some of those spots in the in the Caribbean where they they put the the chum sickles to attract the sharks. Um, I've been on dive boats before where the local guy you know throws in pieces of fishing bait over the side to get the nurse sharks to come in and it's you know you really have to be be careful uh, and, and know your surroundings and what the habits of other guides and fishermen are before you just start doing stuff like that yeah you really do and i'm a, by the way i chum when i fish i have no problem with, with the active i just have a problem with like okay you're in a protected area maybe in that area where you're told not to do it you should Maybe you don't do exactly. It. You know, exactly. I mean, when I fish, if, if chumming is going to bring fish in, I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. Especially if it's, if it's not like putting pollution in the water and you know, crazy things. We used to, mm-hmm. as a kid, we would spray our bait with WD-40. That's probably not great. But, oh, I remember that that old trick. Yeah. yeah. Very popular out in the uh, Northwest, Pacific Northwest. Um, but anyway, so they were doing it. And by the way, the people who were in the story... Um, says that I'm aware this video received many angry comments about shark cage dives and chumming. Many of you think baiting is wrong and it isn't fair to the sharks. Um, but guess what? I agree with you. In her Blue Water Travel Report, Yonkers <laughs> says she understands the issues with chumming but believes the benefits observing and increasing understanding of sharks outweighs the negative impacts. That's fancy talk for, man, that's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. That's all she's saying there. It's really cool. Um, but in that area, you're not supposed to do it. So they could have saved herself yeah. some trouble there. But they got a viral video, and that's you know, oh yeah, that's something. <laughs> so, you can really see in that video just the. It looks like there's divers in the lower part of the cage, yep. probably scared out of their mind. Yeah, obviously. But man, can you see the like that really brave soul he's pushing that's the shark like out. up there trying to get it out uh, yeah. man that guy's got some cojones on him he does but you know that shark didn't want to be in the cage he wasn't in the, yeah he, she or she wanted out i mean she just uh but they could have hurt the shark and oh yeah totally endangered species you know so it, it's important and i'm a big fan of sharks but um i don't know i, I have such mixed feelings about this kind of stuff <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, I at the you. same time, if I was there and they were doing it, I'd be like, "Wow, this is awesome!" You know, I would have been with them. <laughs> I'd have been guilty. <laughs> All right, and uh, other fish in the news. This is from New York Times. Big time news, man. If the New York Times time. is reporting on fish, it's something. <laughs> I'm just trying to pull it up right now. All right, in the wild, goldfish turn from pet to pest. And this is actually, oh, yeah. this, this story comes around every so often, but this happens oh, in Australia. Yeah. Two decades ago, someone dropped a handful of unwanted pet goldfish into a creek in southwestern Australia. Those goldfish grew, swam downstream, mucked up their waters wherever they went, and spawned like mad. Before long, they took over the whole river. So this mm-hmm. is a classic uh, story. Do you have goldfish in the wild in California? Yeah, we we deal with them all the time uh, in several of our um, East Bay Park District waters. Uh, we have a lot of goldfish hotspots. And have you, uh, been, they, have, you have you angled for them? Um, I not specifically. Um, I've yet to hook one. There is a few areas um, near where I go carp fishing that I know are synonymous with goldfish as well. So I want to specifically go to those areas. Areas and maybe try and grab some. Yeah, it's. Uh, but got yeah, one. most of the goldfish are. Everywhere. 
there. Yeah, I've got one on a hook and line when we were on the quest uh, in New Hampshire to catch all the fish. It was not, not a very big one. Uh, of course, yeah. And we ate it. Um, but the uh, it, it's a very, very common for, for fish owners to like let fish go into the wild. If you look at Florida, yeah. they've wrecked their fisheries, in or their freshwater oh, fisheries uh, with, yeah. with, with aquarium fish. So I'm not going to read you the whole article. But so let's let's pretend, Josh, you've got a goldfish, <laughs> and you've decided, you know what? I've had this goldfish for long enough. He's an old fish. I'm going to release him in the and release him, or I don't want him anymore. What do you do with him? You know, it's so uh, not not realizing this was the scenario you were going to give me. Um, this is what the amazing James and I uh, do at schools when we take the mobile fish exhibit out. Um, this is one of the exact scenarios that James presents to the kids. Perfect. Uh, where um, myself, one of the other naturalists, pretend to buy a goldfish or win a goldfish at the fair, and we pick one of the kids from the audience up. And um, we initially make the wrong decision and go, hey, I'm going to throw it in the water. And um, we have the two kids shake hands, and they become, quote, goldfish married. And we call <laughs> up a bunch of other kids to uh, be the babies. Uh-huh. And the other volunteer that was the single little Sacramento perch native fish suddenly gets uh, – pushed out because there's no more space up front by the tank. So it's, um, it, it's funny you say that. This is the exact thing we do every week. Um, so we, we tend to lean more toward um, encouraging the kids to either get a bigger tank, mm-hmm. um, return it to the pet store, mm-hmm. sometimes for credit, or see if maybe you can give it to a friend. Um, if you're a little cold-hearted about it and know how many goldfish there are in the world, like myself, um, I probably wouldn't be a, really against throwing it on ice and maybe using it for cut bait later yeah, uh, so to that's catch a, some catfish. That's a, we used to feed them to our, to our snakes. We would feed them to our yeah. um, garter snakes. Yeah, yeah. That's what I do with feeder goldfish right now. I have a garter snake at the, at the lab. We feed the goldfish. Oh, that's great. Uh, by the way, have you ever given goldfish to a northern water snake? No. Oh, we used to keep one of those in a tank, and we would drop. And they're, they're, and they're in the garter snake family. Uh, yeah, they're great snakes. They're they're one of those snakes that the first time you pick them up, will bite you and make you bleed everywhere, and they'll stink on you and poop on you. And then the third time you pick them up, they stop biting and they just become very docile and easy to handle. <laughs> they're, they're terrific, but they're they're so fun in an aquarium. And if you put in a dozen feeder goldfish, one eighteen-inch uh, snake would eat a dozen in fifteen seconds. It just blah, blah. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But it's so fast how fast they yeah. eat goldfish. It's so cool. Uh, so the New York Times has a recommendation on how to get rid of your fish. Uh, so if, you, if your fish is sick, <laughs> so they're not even saying if you want to get rid of it. They're saying, okay, say you're, it's, <laughs> they're not even going to go to just kill it for fun. Um, but if it's sick, they say don't let it go. Um, you know, you want to you kill it humanely. So they put it in an ice slurry, just like you recommended. Yeah. Um, and they answer the question, should you flush it down the toilet? What do you think? Um, well, I assume it probably isn't recommended, but um, if it is alive when it goes down there, if it's going to hit the sewer, I don't feel like it has much of a chance yeah, to it, it, survive. Yeah, now I agree with you on that. And they say don't flush it down the toilet. As for whether you should flush your fish down the toilet, experts recommend against it. 
Uh, there's a slight chance your fish could survive the journey through the septic system. There's not, by the way. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> that's not. I, there, there's. There's. I mean, maybe in like the seventies where your toilet's flushed into the river and there's nothing between you and the river or whatever. But like with modern sewage, I, I think that's impossible. Yeah. I think that goldfish has a better chance of winning the lottery first. Yeah. And by the way, to go into a septic system, <laughs> that's that's yeah. a, that's a con- that, not a chance because that's not open to this. That's you know uh, that means you have to go through a leach field somehow and end up. Uh-huh. That's impossible. <laughs> um, but in general, it's not a very pleasant way to say goodbye to bubbles. I think that's a good ending to it. <laughs> uh, that's a terrible way to go. Uh, the ice slurry, though, that won't kill a fish. Won't? No, I don't think it will. Not a goldfish. Uh, I mean, maybe eventually. Maybe. My my friend uh. Ray in high school, had he lived in a shed in his backyard. And his shed was only heated, you know, when he was sleeping at night. And he had a 10-gallon a aquarium with a goldfish in there named Basil. And we called that fish Basil the Wonderfish. And the, the reason <laughs> we called it that is because, first of all, there was no aerator in that tank. So, you know, it was a 10-gallon tank. Ray would throw all his pocket change in the tank every day. So the bottom, had, the only bedding in the tank was, was nickels, dimes, quarters, pennies. <laughs> so the gravel was loose change. The gravel was loose change. <laughs> when the tank evaporated down to about three inches of water, Ray would get the garden hose and stick it in the tank and fill it back up again. And every so often, the tank would freeze solid because Ray wasn't home for two or three days at a time. And the, wow. and it would thaw out, and the fish was fine. So that was Basil the Wonderfish, and so that, that is one hardcore goldfish. That was, goldfish are hardcore. I mean, anything in that in the, most of the middle family is like, like that. Yeah, they're, they're survivors. They can deal with that low oxygen water and murky stuff and a bunch of pockets. Yeah. So anyway, that's. I mean, I, I know down south. Uh, I think one of the biggest ways the goldfish get out is. Um, you know, you can buy live goldfish in bait shops, mm-hmm. and I think people just dump them, you know, they dump them over the boat at the end of the day. I'm sure of it. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know about your state, but New Hampshire, if you're using any kind of bait, live bait at all, letting the bait go is illegal. Yeah. I think, I think it pretty much is the standard everywhere. It's just not necessarily followed. Out, out here, we actually have very strict uh, rules using live bait, mm-hmm. uh, much less dumping it. So there's really only a couple places in the state where you can you can even do that. Yeah, it's, it's just not a thing. And New Hampshire, I mean, I always feel terrible, too. We go ice fishing, and we got, like, ten minnows left over. And you just kind of want to dump them down the hole, but you, just, you know you can't, so you dump them right in the ice. And that's yeah. It. But luckily, there's lots of little quick animals that come eat them, so it's not completely wasted. Yeah. We well, uh, you do like me. I, I, I put them in Ziplocs. Yep. afterwards and freeze them and then I just use that as cut bait later. Cut bait or chum or whatever, get your sharks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, good. Exactly. That's it. Alright, so, you know, don't don't let bubbles go. That's <laughs> <laughs> bubbles. Don't let Basil go. Alright, so, <laughs> let's wrap this up. So, that's it. You've listened to a few fish nerds when you should have been fishing. <laughs> We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. If you'd like to help us crowdfund this uh, podcast, go to patreon.com and give us a buck. Yeah. 
special thanks to Lindsay Withers and Kat Michon Tibbet from MainTunaFishing.com. And of course, big thank you to uh, Fish Guy Josh for uh, taking the co-hosting reins tonight. You can find Fish Guy Josh everywhere you find social media at Fish Guy Josh. And especially check out his YouTube channel. It's awesome. And we'll link that up at FishNerds.com. Thank you. Awesome. Well, until next time, follow the code of the Fish Nerds. Spawn early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get.